0: Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank, the digital pastor here at the Foundry Church. We just want to welcome you, whether you are a longtime member of the Foundry family community, if you're brand new checking us out, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or you're someone that's just starting to discover or rediscover what Christianity means to you, we're so glad that you are a part of of our community and are able to join us today. Our series that we find ourselves in in this season is a series called Dive. We're diving into some really specific words and thoughts uh, of the Bible in their original language, original context, to discover their meaning and what they mean to our lives today. It's gonna be exciting if you love word study, if you love understanding what it is that the text really means Uh, we're really excited to be bringing you this topic and and diving deeper into some of these themes it's going to be really exciting so our preaching team is so excited that you are here so excited to be able to bring you this message today and thanks again for checking us out here on our podcast we love you guys so grateful for you and enjoy our message
1: today welcome (laughs) welcome I am so very glad you're here. Whether you're joining us in person or in the interwebs. thank you for being here. Uh, this is the Foundry. My name is Seth, and we are all about a better you and a better world. We are in the beginning of a brand new series that we're calling Dive, and what we're going to be doing is diving deep into some specific and particular words found within the scripture. Uh, We're starting in the Old Testament. We'll be a few weeks in there. And then we'll move into the New Testament and do some of those words as well. Um, And so this whole series is based off of a... Uh, If you're familiar with the Bible Project, if you know these guys, they do a lot of great stuff, we're going to watch a video here in a second, and that will kind of kick off this whole thing. Uh, It's about three minutes long, and I figured it'd save us all from me trying to tell you what they were going to say anyways, and they're more creative, and so we won't be bored, so it'll be better, so it'll like consolidate some stuff, and then we'll move on from there, right? I want to apologize to anybody who came here today thinking they were going to get their SCUBA certificate and they were misled by the language and the imagery of what we were doing. We're diving into the, the, the scripture, just so we're clear. That's what we're doing. So if anybody needs to leave, now's a good time. Uh, so uh, we're going to start with uh, what's called the Shema. You'll see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and following. And then um, the next few weeks, we'll kind of be going through that. So that's going to be our primary ver- the two verses for, like, the next six weeks. So... Take a look at this, sit back, relax, take a look, and then we'll talk about it, and we'll move on from there.
2: For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now, the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now, Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see The Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shim'on, because she says, the Lord has Shema, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to, and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27, verse 7. Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Now, there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you shema shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word, Shema. In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening, or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word shema.
1: Okay, okay. So um, that stuff, you can find it on thebibleproject.com or it's also on RightNow Media. If you're a part of like our family here, I don't know if you know this, but we have this thing called RightNow Media, which is like a digital library of all kinds of teachings and insights and Bible studies and all kinds of cool stuff. If you don't have access to that and you would like it, you can talk to my man Hank. He'll get you a login and then you can see some of this as, as other stuff as well. So it's good stuff. So that saved us a lot of time and a lot of boredom, okay? So let's kind of go through this real quick and and kind of recap just so we're on the same page and we'll move forward. So what did we hear? There's this, (laughs) what did we hear? Shema. Uh, The Shema is this ancient prayer, uh, one of the most important prayers in Judaism. It's recited every morning and every evening as a way to help keep everybody focused, okay? So what I want to do is I I want us to, let's read this out loud together. Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 4. Will you read this with me? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So they repeat this twice a day to keep them focused. So uh, we're going to be focused on this part, uh, like I said, for the next six weeks. Today, we're going to talk about here. Next week, we're going to talk about Lord. Following, week we're going to talk about love and then heart and then soul and then strength. We're going to go word by word. It's, trust me, it's better than it sounds, I promise. It's... It doesn't sound like it might be that great, but I promise it's better than it sounds, right? So what did we shema about shema? Well, it's this very common word that gets used in all different sorts of ways. And, And like a lot of common words, the reason it's so common is because of the variety that you can use it with. So Shema is to hear, like physically, it comes into the eardrums. It can mean to pay attention. It can mean to respond. And it can mean to like, like obey, to, to adhere to this instruction from somebody who is in a position uh, of some sort of authority over your life, right? So let's say, for example, you were taking a walk on the beach. You're taking a walk on the beach and you would Shema, the ocean, the seagulls the people, the kids playing, all this stuff. Now let's say you're walking along the beach and then somebody gets like caught into a riptide or something, like, not, not, not a bad one, just like a minor one, they're struggling, and they start crying out, help, help. So first you would shema, you'd hear them physically calling. Then hopefully you would shema again because it would like, you'd tune into it and you go, oh, something's happening, something's a matter, I need to go like see what's happening. And then you, you hopefully you would shema again By responding in some particular way, maybe you don't go get them if you're not a good swimmer, you know what I'm saying? But maybe you go and get the lifeguard. Well, then the lifeguard says, okay, stay here, I'm going to go get them, which means you would shema again by adhering to the instructions of the person in authority that is the lifeguard. Right? So one word, four different ways, there's these layers into how it can be used. I also thought it was interesting that there's, this no, there's no word for obey, as it were, in the Hebrew text. So this word shema, to hear, on this deeper level is a stand-in for following and actually carrying out the instructions of somebody else, somebody in some position of authority. So we see an example of how this plays out in our text in a passage like Exodus chapter 19. I'm gonna show you three different versions of the same passage. Here's the NIV. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Okay, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words you speak to the Israelites. Okay, here's the King James. Uh, Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Okay, here's the ESV. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So most all English translations use the word here, obey. But in the Hebrew text, it's always Shema, right? Listen, hear, respond. So if, if like we're gonna like kind of retranslate this using this thought process, if you are really listening to what I'm saying, and these words are truly penetrating your heart and your mind, if you're really getting it, you should live in such a way that there is some sort of physical or tangible response You should be keeping or living out this covenant. And when you do, if you do, it will be a sign to God that you have in fact heard, you have shema'ed God's instructions. So listening to God should have this fundamental effect on your behavior, how you think, how you act, how you live and move in the world. And if it doesn't, then you haven't fully heard, you haven't shema'ed. Right, so clearly the the Jewish people have this understanding that they have a bit of a listening problem, kind of like we do as well sometimes. And so they develop this practice that is reciting this passage every morning and every evening. It serves as this continual reminder to put into practice the instructions of God because we struggle with listening, with hearing, with obeying. Maybe we should read it again. Let's, let's do that again, because I think maybe we need to help. Okay, read this with me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Very good. You guys are so good at this. Now, author, theologian, and uh, uh, scholar, Scott McKnight, in his book, The Jesus Creed, He talks about how the Shema shows up in the New Testament through, like, the teachings and the teachings of Jesus, which, of course, like, yeah, makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus uh, was a rabbi. Jesus would have grown up participating in reciting the Shema every morning and every evening. So this is so ingrained into the culture, the language, the backstory of the people that sometimes in our Western mindset, in our culture, that, that we're not tuned into this, we don't see the effects of it. it. It's like, it's lingering in so much of the background of the New Testament. So for example, when Jesus gets asked, what's the greatest commandment, right? You're familiar with this? in Matthew chapter 22, what does it say? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, right? So it's hearing and it's carrying this out. There's this action to it. And what's the very next part does he say? Speaking of action. And the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus takes the first bit, right? The love of the Lord your God, with the Lord. that's from the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter six. But then the second part, love your neighbor yourself, that comes from Leviticus 19, which says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So McKnight talks about how that combination of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 that we find through Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, like this originates with Jesus. This is like his thing. So it's Shema, but it's Shema like 2.0. And so he's building off this deep, Foundational understanding of Shema as hearing, as listening, and as responding. The idea that real listening takes effort and action. So, the teaching of Jesus, according to Jesus, is that this real listening, the way that we show that we've actually Shema'd, is by loving God and by loving others. Now, there are also many scholars that believe Paul was actually using the Shema quite a bit as well throughout his writings. Uh, Paul, who would have also been very, very Jewish, he would have, been, uh, he would have prayed the Shema every morning and every evening. Uh, and so what they believe is that any time that he refers to like one or oneness or as God is one, that he's actually pointing in some way to the Shema because that's what it says, right? Here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul starts talking about like the church as one body, some view this as the ecclesiastical application of Shema. That is, how do we apply that to the church? So the church is continually, is actively responding to living in a particular way with each other as a group of believers and in the larger community. The idea being that now collectively, this new body that has become one, as the Lord is one, is now heard God's instructions and carrying them out through how they live. We see another example of Shema later in the book of James. And although the word Shema is not used here because it's in the New Testament, the New Testament is in Greek, you get it? you Are still with me? Uh, James is tapping into this deeper cultural understanding of the Shema that the people would have had. James is believed to be writing to a primary, primarily Jewish audience, so of course he's going to bring up the concepts of Shema. Look at James chapter one, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, uh, do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom. That's an interesting one, isn't it, by the way? Because I think sometimes we think the law doesn't bring that, that's interesting, Uh, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Right, so this is Shema. Don't just hear it and deceive yourselves, do what it says. If you just hear it and there is no response, if it carries no bearing or makes no difference in how you actually live, then you're like a person who just spent a lot of time doing their hair or their makeup and then you totally forgot like, what your face looked like, which is a weird thing. So when you're really listening, you will be actually doing. And when you're actually doing, when you're really carrying out the instructions of God, then he says you will be blessed in those efforts and what you do. So maybe the big question for us today with all of this is like, and? <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks for all of that mildly interesting information. Now, now what do we do? Where do we go with this? What does this do for us? I have two thoughts. The first one is about the nature of God, and the second one is like how we live, okay? So with all of this newly acquired knowledge of the Shema, I believe we see insight into the heart and the nature of who God is. Because what, one of the things that we see throughout the Scriptures is this reoccurring theme is the theme of the cry, in Egypt, the people cry out. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, we see all kinds of individuals crying out, seeking God's blessing, seeking God's help. And what we see is that God always hears the cry. So if you look at Exodus chapter two, verse 23, during their time in slavery, towards the end of that, it says this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned out in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites, uh, looked on the Israelites, and was concerned about them. So in verse 24, where it says, "God heard their groaning, the word that's used there is a form of Shema," which is to say that it wasn't just a noise that entered into God's eardrum as if God has eardrums, but rather it was something that caught God's attention and then caused him to respond, that God took action. God responded. God heard. God shamed the cry. And what did he do? He sends Moses to rescue his people. So to me, what it reveals to us is this deeply loving and caring nature of God, that the God who is asking us to listen and respond to him is, in fact, a God who is listening and responding to us. Which says to me that if I am in a moment in my life, a moment of blessing, I can offer praise and thanks and know that that will be received. It also says to me that if I'm going through a crap moment in my life, I can in fact cry out to God and that won't just go into some void never to be heard, never to have anything respond to it. But that God will in fact hear my cry and respond, will take some sort of action on my behalf, which to me should give us a great deal of hope. I believe this is a beautiful glimpse into who God is and what God is like. This gives me hope for the next time that I experience some sort of like crap NATO in my life. Yeah? My second thought is this and this is concerning how you live. This whole week, I don't know about you, <laughs> this whole week, I've still been wrestling with our passage from last week. Has anyone still been carrying that with them? I, I, I hope it's been convicting, because it's been convicting for me. I've been wrestling with last week's sermon. So you guys show up for like an hour, and then you're like, yeah, that was good or bad, I don't whatever, I'll see you later. I'm still carrying all this stuff, okay? <laughs> like, this, this, has, this is like working, hopefully it's working. I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. But I feel like God is still trying to impress upon me something. So we talked about Luke chapter 6 and how ridiculously hard it was. Do you remember this, what does it say? Verse 27, but to you who are listening I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Have I really shamad? I don't even know if that's the proper usage of the word. Have I shamad this? Am I really listening in a way that it translates into something? Have I really heard this in a way that these words are truly penetrating my heart and my mind that will cause me to live differently, to live this out in some sort of physical or tangible response? Am I really taking these words in through my eyes and through my ears and allowing them to take up residence within my being and then allowing them to have this fundamental effect on my thoughts and my behavior towards others? And if I'm not, if I'm not hearing this in the way of the Shema, if I'm not hearing this or doing these things, then like, what's the point? What's what's the point? If I'm like, oh, that's a cute verse. Hey, love your enemies. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Do good to those that hate. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Bless those who curse you. Yeah, why not? But then if I go out and I run into some sort of conflict in my life and I judge and I talk crap, and I hold a grudge, and I embrace bitterness, and I refuse to forgive, then I have not shemad. I have not heard. And if I'm not willing to do the hard thing, then what is the point? What did James say? Let's look at that verse again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So if I'm not actually going to live out the teachings of Jesus, like it talks about in Luke 6, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If I'm not actually going to do that, then why should I bother with any of the rest of it? If I'm not willing to do the hard work of the teachings of Jesus, for the sake of experiencing the fullness of life that Jesus has come to offer, for the sake of experiencing the freedom that he has come to offer, for the sake of experiencing a better me and a better world, then I might as well just do whatever it is I want and create my own personal hell on earth. If I'm not going to truly love my neighbor as myself, I have not heard. If If I'm going to judge and condemn others, I have not heard. If I'm going to choose war over peace in my life, I have not heard. If I'm going to neglect my role as steward that God has given me over God's creation, I have not heard. If I'm going to live in the mindset of scarcity, I have not heard. If I'm continually allowing my pride and my ego to lead me and be my guide, I have not heard. Sometimes I think we're really good at making excuses. I know I am. We're all for the teachings of Jesus when it talks about like his love for us. And we're all for the teachings of Jesus when it talks about like nice things like, like help the poor, right, we like that because then we have an air of superiority over somebody and actually makes us feel good because we're like better than them and they need our help and we're the savior and it's a whole thing. We're all for the teachings of Jesus when it's like about the things that we believe that we are the right ones on whatever. But it seems like on like deeper, like really personal level things, sometimes we get kind of quick to make excuses or we attempt to reframe certain teachings of Jesus so that what Jesus says about the difficult thing that he's asking us to do might not carry as much weight. Like when, it, when I think about, you know, there's been people that have come and gone from the church over the past several years, that's fine, I get it. There's all different kinds of reasons. There, there's like two, two ones that I, I think occur a lot. The, the first reason I think people leave here sometimes is because they, they have bad taste. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Look, I get I'm not for everybody, it's okay. I'm okay with it. I've learned to live with it. It's fine. (laughs) The the second thing is that um, sometimes I feel like uh, we get too uncomfortable. And we'll do like a teaching of Jesus, and they will not shemad it the way that we talked about it. They would have not heard it and incorporated it in their life. Because the teaching of Jesus is really hard. And then they get uncomfortable, and then they get upset, and then they're like, oh, I, I can't. I don't think this is right, I can't be here, I can't want to be a part of it, right? They get frustrated with the teaching of Jesus. Yeah, me too. It's really hard. And it gets even harder when like, if you realize like some of the stuff that, what what you were handed isn't necessarily in line with maybe what Jesus was actually up to, like then it gets really difficult. So I've noticed some people get frustrated with me. With Jesus. Speaking of getting frustrated, (laughs) Let's get uncomfortable for a second. That was all just a setup to get to this moment. Let's get uncomfortable for a second. Let's talk about some real issues here that, that like we need to be mindful of, okay? Let's do this one. Let's talk money and wealth. The reality is we live in a very affluent society. If you live in America and you have like at least one car, on a global scale, you're doing okay, you're doing all right. And even though in our particular society, you may think of yourself, or you may think people view you as being materially poor, like worldwide, you're actually not that bad. So this, this is like for all of us, whether you make 20 grand a year or two million a year, this is for all of us. Jesus talks a lot about wealth and money and the poor. He says things like, blessed are the poor, he says things like, it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Technically, we're all rich, so are we all need to be mindful of this? Je- Jesus said to the rich young man, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. You know, I've never actually heard a pastor talk about that scripture in church from a literal perspective. Right? Why? Because, well, we need the money to come into the institution to keep it running and, like, all that kind of stuff, you know what I'm saying? So we kind of pick what, how we're going to navigate some of these things. On the other hand, we're also told, like, like, hey, you need to take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans, which is all good stuff. But that also means that in order to take care of the widows and the orphans and the poor, it means I have to have some sort of wealth. Because if we're all poor, then, like, what are we going to do? Right? So there's all these like different things we're trying to balance and sort through. And well, if there's a bunch of poor people and there's a bunch of rich people, and Jesus is telling like the people who aren't poor to help take care of the poor, is this like Jesus calling the rich to give to the poor? Is this some sort of like wealth wealth redistribution? Did Seth just say wealth redistribution in church? Oh, geez, are we socialists? But I thought we were capitalists. But that's how our country was founded, and we are one nation under God, so therefore this is what we do. And now, yeah, but here's a long list of all the things that's wrong with socialism. But here's a long list of things that's right with capitalism. Here's a long list of what's wrong with capitalism. Here's what's, and then all of a sudden, this conversation that just started with Jesus talking about wealth and money and how we should be mindful of each other, it blows up into this whole thing and the fact that Seth said socialism in church is probably triggering some people and what's going to happen and... Oh my dear goodness, is anybody uncomfortable yet with any of that, any triggering words, anything like bothering anybody? My, my point is this, is that once you get started talking about the deeper levels of things, once it gets to a much more personal level, I think the reality is we're all trying to sort through all these different influences. There's all sorts of voices that are coming at us from all different directions. And the question is, whose voice are you, are you actually listening to? Right? To whom will you shema? To whom will you shema in a way that you just hear it and it's just, you hear the noise? And to whose voice will you let have influence in the kind of life that you will live? To whose voice will I allow to have the authority in my life that I will shema it, that I will live and obey in that particular Way. Will I shema the self? Will that be my guide, my personal thoughts and opinions and preferences? Will I shema a particular political or economic system? Is that what I will use to be my guide for the direction of my life? Will I shema the Lord my God? Whose voice will you shema when it comes to these very deep, Seated, personal issues and opinions and thoughts and ideas about things that actually deeply affect your life. Let's do one more. This one's gonna be worse. <laughs> In the Hebrew Bible, there are many occasions where God raises up warriors to defend and protect and rescue his people, right? There's a sense of like, righteous judgment and justice there's the sense of the divine warrior who goes in to fight with sword and shield and takes over the, and we have to take over the land and destroy all the other nations because they are unholy and God is holy and we have to do this thing. But the Bible also says things like uh, live by the sword, die by the sword. Uh, yeah, but didn't Jesus tell like his disciples to go get swords like before they went to the garden? He did. I believe it was a joke. You should le- read it. It's, it's quite humorous. like, They go get two swords. It's 12 disciples, two swords versus like the Roman army. (laughs) Okay, because the swords are going to work. You have other other places in the Bible where it says, uh, like uh, uh, even in that situation, where Peter actually has a sword and he attempts to defend Jesus. He attempts to stand his ground, trigger words, and what does Jesus say? Put the sword away. Put the sword down. Okay, so... Let's talk guns and gun violence and second amendment rights because that should bring unity. (laughs) I like that we can laugh. How far will the laughing go? So this past Tuesday, as you know, there was a mass shooting in Texas that took the lives of 22 people and injured 17 others. An absolute tragedy that should weigh heavy on our hearts and minds. 10 days before that, in Buffalo, New York, there was another shooting that took the lives of 10 and injured three innocent and unsuspecting people. This should weigh heavy on our hearts and minds. In the month of May in our country, there have been 24 recorded mass shootings that have resulted in the death of 48 people and the injury of 134 others. This should weigh heavy in our hearts and minds. Now, what happens normally is the moment that you say something like guns, especially in church, or you say gun laws or you say the right to bear arms you have like at least like th- at least 3 different camps of thought you have the camp over here that says guns are dumb we should have no guns let's get rid of all the guns Then you have the people like here that say, no, 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 the guns aren't the problem, the people are the problem, we just need better laws and better regulation. And then over here you have like the Second Amendment people that are like, you shall not infringe upon my rights here and you can pry the gun from my cold dead fingers, right? So you have these three different kind of groups that that are all like sorting through this issue. And then when you start talking about this, this gun issue, it actually moves the whole conversation to like a higher level beyond the guns. It moves into like the role of government and how much power the government should or shouldn't have and what they can and cannot tell us to do. And then all of a sudden you're talking about political systems and structures and on and on. It keeps growing until like you're in this much bigger space and you're arguing about stuff that you don't even remember what you're arguing about. But yeah, it's all for the benefit of somebody and something. And I think it's... I don't know if you know this, but people seem to have really strong opinions about some of these issues. And then what happens is that before you know it, we get so adamant about defending our position on this whatever particular issue that we overlook or we neglect or we forget that this week there will be 22 families burying a loved one and trying to make some sort of sense out of something that seems so senseless. My point is here again, that once you start getting into these deeper issues, these deeper levels of things, once it starts to get a bit personal, this stuff gets really, really difficult. And my guess is, when I start using these words in this language, there's all kinds of thoughts about what should and shouldn't be There's all kinds of thoughts about what is he actually advocating for or against? We're not sure. He's trying to keep it very vague. Hopefully that's worked. (laughs) Whose side is he on? Hopefully I'm on the side of the Lord. We're all trying to sort through these difficult issues with different thoughts and different influences, and there's all sorts of voices coming at us from all these different directions, and the question is... Whose voice am I ultimately going to listen to? To whom will I shema? Who will I simply hear? And who will I shema that is allowing that voice to have authority in my life that I will obey and live in line with? Will I shema the self? Will that be my guide? My personal thoughts and preferences on these particular issues? Will I shema a particular side or stance on the issue? Is that the thing that I will use to determine how I will live and what direction my life will go? Or will I shema the Lord my God? You see, the truth of the matter is that the teachings of Jesus were never actually meant to align with your views on economics. The truth is the teaching of Jesus were never meant to align with your particular views politics. The thing he's doing must come first. Jesus was executed as an enemy of the state because he was a threat to the government of the day. So what do we do when we come to a place of seeing or understanding or maybe like trying to sort through and think through all this stuff, and we come to a place of realizing that maybe my personal beliefs and the stuff that teaches Jesus teaches isn't in line with each other. Then what do we do? Because it's easy to say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, until there's this much larger, deeper rooted, very heavy weighing issues that we're sorting through for ourselves, for our family, for our country. I believe that we all truly want best for our world. It comes out in different expressions. I think we have to do better at working together to move forward. And the question for me in all of this is who are we ultimately going to listen to? Whose voice will we shema? As I think back on myself and my issue with Luke 6, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If I'm not actually willing to shema this in a way that makes a difference in how I live, then what is the point? Or if I'm going to choose the self or my politics or my whatever opinions on these issues over the instructions of God, what's the point? Maybe this is the reason the Jewish people recite this prayer every morning and every evening. Maybe it's something that we need to adapt into our lives, adopt into our lives, that we need this continual, twice a day reminder of whose voice it is that we should, in fact, be listening to. Can we say that prayer, that that Shema, one more time together? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. In all aspects of your life, to whom will you, Shema?
3: We're about to move into a time of communion, a time where we get to shema, a time where we get to come before God and intentionally listen to God, to intentionally allow our lives to align with God and the ways of God, for God to speak into our lives, and also for a time for God to shema us pour out, for us to pour out our hearts, our fears, our troubles, our insecurities, our questions, and for God to listen and act towards us as we listen to God and act towards the ways of God. We have stations where we uh, can take communion, if you can't get up you can raise your hand and Some communion will be brought to you if you're those who are listening online anything that you have fruit of Florida vine orange juice or a Pop-Tart cereal take this time to commune with us to commune with God if you will pray with me Lord we gather together in this room and online. And we cry out to you that you shemar us. Lord, this this world is full of difficulties and trials and troubles and confusing things, things that we question. And we cry out to you, shemar us we know your spirit intercedes for us and it fills our lives so that we can better shema you lord help us to learn to listen listen to your ways when they go against our ways listen to the goodness of your ways even if they go against the ways of those around us Lord, let us Shema you so that you can create a better us and that through us, you can create a better world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, whose example we follow into a better world. And we pray this in the name of your spirit, who empowers us to Shema you. Amen. Thanks so
0: much again for joining us here on the Foundry Church Podcast. As we wrap up today, a couple of other things we want you to know. Hey, if you want to learn more about our community and what it means when we say things like better you, better world, and reclaiming God's intended reality, we would love for you to head to our website. You can find that in the show notes, or you can visit us at thefoundrytheletterc.org. And if you want to reach out to us, we would love to hear your thoughts, hear your commentary, hear anything that you would like to say. You can send us an email, info at the foundryc.org. We would love to be able to hear from you if this message touched you or reached you or if you're in need of prayer. That's a great way to reach out to our staff, our team here at the Foundry Church. We're grateful that you guys are here. Thanks so much for tuning in. And if you really liked it and if you really enjoyed it, a rating or a share would mean a lot to us as we continue to try to expand our community, our mission and our vision. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoy it. And again, for all of us here at the Foundry Church, my name is Hank Taylor, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and we'll see you next time on the Foundry Church podcast. Take care.